Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune into the Trade Addicts podcast. Thank you and enjoy your podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. Recently I had a really long conversation with Jacob Rickroad at Clutch Fantasy on Twitter. Currently unaffiliated, unlike this podcast, which is a DLF family podcast. You see how I finally remembered to do that and just snuck it in right in the middle there. Yeah, I really enjoyed my conversation with Jacob so much I couldn't cut it down enough to get it into a single episode. So this is going to be part one. Um, thanks again for Jacob coming on. We talked about Dynasty, we talked about Zero RB, we talked about prospects we like for the 2020 season in general. And uh, he's a really good sport to come on and talk to me for so long. And between him and Nathan Powell lately, though, I'm feeling real beat up, I gotta say, but I love it. And uh, I think you guys are gonna enjoy it too. Like, it, this was good. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed listening back to it. So, yeah, enjoy. Thanks again for listening and. Uh, let me know what you think. Thanks. I just caught your post talking about a, a lady who like dominated you and everyone else in like high stakes leagues. What was her name? Kerma. Um, something. I now want to know everything about that woman. How is this the first time I'm hearing about her? So <laughs> that sounds like the one everyone's video. trying to discover, and occasionally they think it's me. I'm like, no, no, I don't win money at all. <laughs> That sounds like the person with all the secrets that no one has heard about. Yeah. So please, what dish? So are, are we? Are we into this? Are we? Is this starting? I'm, I'm, I'm recording just in case you say something profound and I want to put it on okay. there. But like, right. I, it's not a planned beginning. Put it that way. Okay. Cool. Well, we can. We but can I talk do want to so know. I, I started doing high stakes um, in 2003. It was my first year. And W. Coff, have you heard of W. Coff? It's the World Championship of Fantasy Football. It's now defunct, mm -hmm. but it was okay. like the first high stakes fantasy league. It was like sixteen hundred a team with a grand prize of a hundred grand, and it was in Vegas live. And I went. I was twenty three years old, you know, right out of college, and I, me and a buddy went and loved it. We finished third place the first year and just were hooked. Right? Did you go yeah, to right. Vegas? And it's like going to a Trekkie convention, right? Like, it's all these football degenerates just like you, these hardcore fantasy <laughs> people. And right. in one spot, and there's like a thousand teams, um, and they have the draft board set up, and there's girls, you know, putting up the stickers. You, you've seen the pictures of it. Um, have, anyway, yeah. so that was 2003. And so I did it, we did it for three or four years. Had some pretty good years in there. One leagues, we had one year we finished, um, we were the, the, points leader through the regular season so we had in 2006 we had more points than any any team in the whole league which was like incredible right and that was a year with Ladanian tomlinson um when he had his 31 touchdowns so yeah <laughs> but a lot of my kind of process came from that so when you lose a lot of money 
like you, yeah, right. you take some lessons from it. So you, you always you always give me a hard time about being anti rookie. It's because of stuff like that, you know. Like I've gone in on rookies and just got killed. Um, right. One of those years, I uh, Nate Burleson was playing opposite of Randy Moss, and Moss had just left, and I, we we drafted Burleson like in the third round, and he was horrible. He did nothing. <laughs> And I remember thinking, like, I'll never do that again. Like, I'll never right. go all in that early on a, a guy that really hadn't proven it, you know, outside of right. one, one fluke year. In fact, that was, like, the best year of Dan Perlson's career. He never had another career like the year he played opposite of Randy Moss. But anyways, that story of Kim, Kim or Schleicher. Is that where is that our... myth comes from? Sorry, I, we've got a little lag. I don't mean thing? to interrupt you. But the whole opposite of good player, you can have a better season. Is that where that stems from, you think? Because I've never found the source of some of the things that people, the narratives that people roll out. And that one seems to be I... a narrative sometimes. And I've never heard like a foundation myth. Give me the narrative. The whole... Um, you can have a better season with a dominant wide receiver opposite you taking the better coverage. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it happens. It, it, there was a lot of receivers that played opposite of Randy Moss that, that did really well. Um, I'm blanking on his name, the Raiders uh, wide receiver. Give me a sec. I have, you know, I need you got to all the time. You you want, um, I have this, um, my one and done sheet. He's, I, I'm pretty sure he's on here. Okay, um, I, I don't see his name on there. He was like a, a total one-year wonder, though, with the Raiders. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't have an answer to the question. But so that year, though, Kim Schleicher, who, you know, she was just like a – she looked like somebody's mom, you know? Like, I, I hate to say that. And so we were like, no, I, who is this It paints lady? a good visual, you know? and right? I get you. <laughs> she, she's a lawyer, okay? So she was like probably late 40s at the time, and she's a lawyer, um, wears glasses, and she drafted Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden at the end of the first round. I was like, that's crazy. Two wide receivers from the same team. You know, like that doesn't right. make any sense. Why wouldn't that's you diversify? Stupid. Well, fast forward, you know, both of them were top five that year. They both had 1,400 plus yards. They both had 100 plus catches. And she crushed the league. And I, that was like my first bout with um, one of these high stakes winners. And she's a big time winner. She's won it all. She's won a couple of the big leagues several times. Like she has a bunch of top 10 finishes in those high stakes right. leagues. She's legit. Um, I was in a league with um, Chad, Chad Schroeder. Remember him? Yeah. He's like the high stakes God, like treats it like an investment banker has, you know, right, right. dozens upon dozens of high stakes teams. And he's always in the top 10. Like guys, amazing. I listen to him anytime I can. So some of these high stakes players, they just have a knack for doing this. Um, so like Nelson Sousa, you probably follow him at you just sent me franchise. a link to a podcast he was on. And, yeah. he, he was on um, with uh, Roto Underworld with Matt Kelly like a month or two ago. He's awesome. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like yeah, you sent me the link stakes. and said, be sure to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, like, I mean, I it's have, just some but, of these yeah, guys really have like one. a unique process. Um, they they take risks at the right time, and they seem to just know how to do it. And so I kind of chase them and have learned how to structure rosters based on on some of the stuff I've learned from them. You know, um, like a lot of great fantasy analysts are terrible drafters. Like they don't know how to 
you know, draft, they don't know roster structure, you know, and roster construction. Right. The proper way to do it. So, like, you see these really smart guys and they draft these terrible teams. So, there's like a science to it, you know, and I think that's what kind of brought me to my process of like, okay, which wide receivers do I want? Well, it's the wide receivers that keep doing it over and over again, right? I mean, you look at this this list that I got, and there's there's 72 wide receivers that have had three or more top tw- top 24 seasons, right? And it's 85% of the top 12 years going back to 2000 has come from this group. So there's like been 700 plus receivers drafted since 2000, and 72 of them own 85% of the top 12 seasons. That's ridiculous. And it's 76% of the top 24. So that was a like, stat those in are your the, Rotoviz argument, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is the obvious outliers, right? So just chase those guys, and, and you're going to have it. And, and some of them have bad years, and they come back. And then they get old, and people give up on them, but they're still producing, which you and I have talked about several times, about just these 30-plus elite players that are still getting it done. You know, all these people are bailing on Julio Jones, and he's not even old yet, you know? Like, there's a very good chance that he finishes top 12. And if you look going back like the last 10 years, there's been a 30 plus year old receiver in the top 12 every year, sometimes multiple. You know, Larry Fitzgerald is a classic example of that. Like, people were completely writing him off like a seventh round pick in like 2016, 2017. And then he puts up top 10 season. So that's what kind of led me to this old wide receiver thing. And I probably hold on to these guys too long in some cases. Um, but I think I think you should though. Something that strikes me is part part of what I've had to come to accept about dynasty specifically. You're talking about high stakes leagues, which is almost a whole other world. But I wanted to draft all my favorite players and make the best roster ever, and then have them forever. That was my first really basic thought about what dynasty was. And the further I've got into it, the more I've realized it's about changing your roster successfully year over year rather than keeping the best roster year over year. Um, But the one place you seem to be able to do it, especially since value is such a thing in Dynasty, is old players. There's no point in trading Julio Jones or Keenan Allen unless unless you can get one of those young players, but most people don't want to trade those young players to you in Dynasty. So it's almost... The older wide receivers not only reproduce this value more consistently, and they're a better bet to do it, but also there's less incentive to trade them because no people don't want them as much. If that makes sense, like I kind of like yeah, that. Yeah, totally agree. Too. Yeah, it's really about having a balance of a mix of like an escalating age range where you have some of these older players and you know they're at some place they're, they're going to be dust, but you want to milk them as long as you can, right? You want Jordy Nelson, when he was the number two wide receiver at age 31, you, you still want to hang on to that if you can. And then knowing that he's probably going to fall off a cliff at 32, 33, so you're harvesting some of these younger guys who sometimes take several years. I mean, we just saw with Devontae Parker, you know, he broke out. They don't all, they're not all A.J. Brown, right? And some of these right. guys, they just need the right situation. You know, I mean, Robert Woods, was a I, very I good receiver that. in Buffalo, <laughs> and then, and then he so, he goes to the Rams. Now look at him, you know, like so. Yeah, but that's so so. Re- I do hate situation analysis. One because no one can tell me what a good situation looks like because any definition you put on it 
like it, it's disproven the minute you're not looking at the one good example. I agree the situation affects it, but we don't know how to identify a good situation. Like no one identifies Tennessee as a good situation last year. No one identifies, well, actually several people were on Robert Woods, to be fair. But he's like specifically unusual, if you know what I mean. Um, yes, yeah. I, you I know, don't know like he, good situation is consistent. It looks different every time. He's one of those rare guys that like hit and you're like year four, year five. You know, we and we've seen yeah. it a few times. Emmanuel Sanders is one of those guys. Golden Tate is another guy that took like four or five years. Both of them needed new Parker, teams. Man. Yeah, but I mean Tate and and Sanders need new teams for them to break out. You know, right? Sanders goes to Denver, and and, and he was with Ben Roethlisberger. You think that was a perfect situation? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's if I have there, tried to add anything to this, this honestly, I think it should be default process that you're you and others that have been long grandfathered in as uh, the better players have established. It's trying to look for what's consistent. Well, one thing is that draft capital, there's a sliding scale of draft capital. Players that break out later, fourth year or not, tend to have less draft capital, which is another reason Robert Woods tilts me to no end and Devontae Parker, because that doesn't fit my pattern, if you know what I mean. Um, right. Reg, I can't, Reggie Wayne was a first-round pick as well. You said Golden Tate. He was a little later. But I do think that's something yeah. that we can add. Like you'd have higher expectations. Otherwise, you need some sort of radical change, like you're saying, a team situation. What the hell happened with Devontae Parker? Like there was no reason that should have happened. Gabe Gearing completely owned me on that. I don't know. Um, you know and I, I know maybe you. This is going to get into our quarterback debate. Like Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick hopefully. has like a pretty. He has a long history of supporting top twenty-four wide receivers. Like Stevie Johnson He's, was legit, right? I know. And, he was. Just he, he was one really of those good. players you have fact, to accept. He, you just have to accept that shouldn't be true, but he's a kingmaker. Just <laughs> I don't know why, but he's a force of NFL nature. I don't know why, but occasionally there are those yeah. players that you just have to accept. So I, shouldn't I, be. I, looked at, I was looking at his whole career, and Fitzpatrick was in Tennessee when Kendall Wright had his top 24 years. Or, right. You know, like he only had one. Kendall Wright had, it was one and done, but Ryan Fitzpatrick threw them for like most of the year. It's a trip, right? And and then can, he goes to New York, and Brandon Marshall and Decker go off. Like both of them, I remember that year? They were both top thirteen. And I can Marshall feel you pulling me towards QB matters arguments, but let me hold you off just a little while longer. I do want to you you mentioned like people don't know how to draft teams, and I and roster construction. And I think I know the basics. I think we can all quote them because we've read them so often. But it's difficult. It's difficult to practice what you've been preached. Are you someone who thinks there's something different going on in the NFL right now? Like I keep reading from Scott Barrett and others. He just praised someone who I've just discovered writing basically the same thing. And the basic push is of any draft strategy that doesn't focus running back early, like real early, like first round should be running back basically all the time, um, is just wrong at this point. And that seems to be what used to be canon five years and before ago. And then we went through an era of accepting that wide receivers can give you an edge. And I'm not making a point here. I'm honestly asking, is there something where we're back to, you have to stop playing with the margins at wide receiver and, and just accept that running back is always going to be that much more valuable. Is there still, um, I mean, 
here, here's a phrase I like to use. Like, and I've been a big zero running back guy for a long time. Like I was using right. zero running back before I knew what I was doing, you know, before it was right. actually, before Sean Siegel actually wrote the article. Cause in some of those high stakes leagues, I, I got to the point where I was so tired of, of these wide receivers just putting up these monster years that I wanted to fill my flex. So I, I, I had a, a league in 2012, high stakes league, and I drafted four or five straight wide receivers. Like, just because I wanted to have all those, because they were easy to predict the wide receiver's success, right? They keep doing it year over year. So I was like, well, if I can get five of them and then just get lucky with one of these other running backs. I didn't know what I was doing, but it, it worked, right? And, and you, you've you seen that chart. You and I both do it where the top 12 scoring by year. And yeah. I think what happened is zero running back didn't die. Wide receiver scoring died. So like last year was a terrible year for wide receiver scoring. You know, the, but 2018 the number was three wide receiver. Well, well, the number three wide receiver, Chris Godwin, he had 274 points. He wouldn't have made the top 12 some of those years back then when we had like, there was like six, seven guys, wide receivers that had 300 plus points. So when you had those guys playing in your flex, like 2015 was that, was the running back apocalypse year where all the guys got hurt and there was only one. Do you remember that? Um, mm-hmm. Devontae Freeman was like the only running back in the top 12. Like he's the only one in the and top he was a late 12. Round running back. Really... Yeah, so right. that was like the best year. And then we, it was like we almost went through a cycle where early part of 2010 and 2015, there was only so many good wide rec- or running backs and there was a plethora of like stud wide receivers because you had Antonio Brown, AJ Green, Des Bryant, Marius Thomas, but there was like no good running backs. And then 2016, 2017, we got Zeke and Le'Veon Bell and um, Gurley and it, it like kind of flipped. So I think that's to Scott's point, like running back scores so much. And so that's why you want that because they're like a chess piece. And we've seen that in, your, in the last few years with, with Christian McCaffrey, where you have such a huge advantage when you have one of those guys, you know, Barkley, McCaffrey putting up 380 points. Um, it's just a massive advantage. So will zero running back work this year? Can it still work? Yeah. But like I had a lot of years in there where, I didn't make the playoffs. I, I would be in the, de- the FFPC, which is like a you know eleven week regular season, and I didn't have enough time for my running no zero running back roster to, to catch up. So I would go six right. and five and miss the playoffs. So like I kind of came around because I was so tired of it, and I started going one running back or modified. You hear people say modified zero running back, which to me is just getting a stud early and then loading up on wide receivers, but. The, the whole point of the game is to score as many points as you can. It doesn't really matter where it comes from, right? So right. it's somewhere in between. And we don't know what the season's going to look like. Like, are we going to have a bunch of running backs get hurt? I mean, running backs have been fairly healthy the last couple of years. I mean, there were several years in there where the stud running backs went down early and often. And that's why wide receiver kind of took over. And you had all these guys putting up 300 points. I mean, I'm looking at 2012. Andre Johnson, Demarius Thomas, Des Bryant, AJ Green, Brandon Marshall, and Calvin Johnson all put up 300 plus points. And well, Wes Walker had 291. So, like, there was and that's just what an I wonder those about years. Like, Matthew Kelly has made this point too. It's not just about running backs being this valuable piece, because they are. We've always, I think we've always known, even in zero running back, in Sean's article, it was a yes, running backs are the most valuable, they win. But there's a weakness in their injury rate and the the repeating rate as well. But lately, we've had this influx of running back talent since Zeke, then Barkley, and then the guys last year. And this class looks pretty strong as well. 
so that strengthens the strengthens the position and that's why the that combined with a lack of 300 point seasons from wide receivers but I also think there's an inverse there. You've had an influx of running back talent. We have had an influx of wide receiver talent. We had a dearth there between 2015 and 17 or whatever. But at the same time, you could see wide receivers, like we've had different type of talented wide receivers coming in. I think that's the reason for the NFL targets shift. You've had Calvin Ridley, Tyler Boyd. You've had Kenny Galladay, frankly. There's a lack of Des Bryant, Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson talents. But we could easily see, like, DK Metcalf could be that kind of talent. Um, I think Colin Sutton could get not Julio range, but he could be a lot better than people think. AJ Brown, I don't know how to explain how bizarrely awesome he was on limited targets. That's, that's an amazing efficiency, and that maybe speaks more to his ceiling. So it could flip back if the wide receiver position receives a similar bump. I can't convince myself that that's about to happen, but I do want to keep in mind that it's about talent influx. And so yours, and that's the reason, well, one of the reasons I was fascinated by your Kermis uh, post, because someone identified Anquan Bolden. That's what I want to be able to do. I want to know when that's going to happen or more likely to happen. And I want to, I want to stay open to the possibility that in 2020 or 2021, that's the year that you get a new influx of talent that creates more 300-point games at the wide receiver position. The other thing is that in, running backs shouldn't stay as healthy as they have been doing, and wide receivers' should scoring shouldn't be as flat as it was last year. And there's just a lot of things which should kind of regress naturally, whether there's extra talent or not. You see what I'm... You see the thin yeah, line no, of totally hope I'm clinging to? Um, yeah, and, but you, you know... I don't know if it was Rich Rebar or Matt Kelly, but someone's done research to where the wide receiver 24 to 40 isn't that mm-hmm. bad. Like they're no. it's that they've actually put up more points than ever. So you're getting this like second, third wide receiver that's scoring more points. And then there's a fall off at the top yeah. tier because they're not scoring double digit touchdowns like they used to. You know, like when Peyton Manning was in the league, it was like Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne every year, 10 plus touchdowns. And now you don't have that. You know, Devontae Adams had three years in a row. He got hurt this year. So we just – we were, were missing those those high-end wide receivers, right? OBJ hasn't done it for like three years. But so, understandably with OBJ and understandably with Mike Evans from Chris I do think – I do think – and I'm spiraling towards a QB debate or conversation about quarterbacks, which I think is where we, we were meant to be. But – um. I just think that we can explain some of it, not with a change in the NFL, but the NFL has changed because of the players it has. And we have very talented players that have a different type of skill set from the ones who were putting up that those productions. Like the increase or, or the, the decrease in the difference between wide receiver 24 and 40 is also connected to the fact that the wide receiver three on any given team is producing at a higher average rate than it was five years ago. And I think that's because the distribution has changed because the wide receiver one, there's just a lack of those types of talents to be the wide receiver one on team. So I think it's kind of all connected to where your talent is rather than what the NFL wants to do. And that's kind of where I get triggered by the argument. The NFL isn't going to push away from having Julio Jones level market share and 10 touchdown seasons. It's just, they don't have the players to do it. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I saw you tweeted about Julio. You, t- you tweeted about Julio recently because you you were asking like, where is the next Julio? You know, like are we right. gonna have a guy that? I mean, I don't have his numbers in front of me, but he went. He's been top twelve or top ten. How many years? Phenomenally. It's it, right. Yeah, so top it's... top seven over the last six, and then he had a, a eleven scoring in second year in the league. That's incredible, you know. Um, my favorite right. dynasty. Sorry, to that point, my favorite thing I found about dynasty ADP is there's like a five year period where Julio Jones and Antonio Brown were basically finishing top five or a minimum top twelve in Julio Jones's case, but Antonio Brown was pretty much wide receiver one or two every year for like four or five straight years, and neither of them were ever drafted as a wide receiver one the next year because everyone wants, to your point, the new thing instead of the guy who keeps doing it. And uh, I, I just kind of love that. I don't know it's very actionable, but I thought it was fascinating. <laughs> like, do you want the no, guy I, who... I, <laughs> it's been the whole premise of my of my process is like taking advantage of those elite guys that people think are dust, you know? And this right. this goes back to Steve Smith. Like, he had a really bad year. I forget what year it was. He was horrible. He had like 500 yards. And then the next year, Cam Newton came in. He was lights out. And you could draft him. Steve Smith, like in the tenth round that year, he was a league right. winner, you know. And Reggie Wayne did it too. Reggie Wayne had a really bad year before Andrew Luck because they were, in, you know, it was like Curtis Payne or year. Do you remember that year? Went mm-hmm. after Payton went down, he was. Reggie I remember Wayne was researching. Then, I wasn't playing. He, well, and then Andrew Luck came in and and he had a hundred receptions at thirty four years old, you know. So like, I feel like there's always something there, and the. the Outliers are obvious, you know. They're staring us in the face. Look, I don't have a lot of AJ Green, but would it surprise me if he put up a no. top twenty? <laughs> no, and it shouldn't surprise anybody, right? Because no. when he's still not that old, and we've seen the historical presidents there, you know, a guy with mm. his profile. So, you know, am I drafting a lot of AJ Green? No, but, but I, you know, <laughs> I'm at a spot where I, I've kind of shifted to where I'm going tight end, running back early. Because I can get some of these these wide receivers that I think can be top twelve later, you know. Like I, I, I trust my process enough that I can get Tyler Lockett, you know, as the wide receiver twenty four, who I think is like a lock to finish top fifteen, maybe even higher. Um, but last year yeah, I, I did the same thing with Jarvis Landry. Allen Robinson and Jarvis Landry were free in drafts. Like I drafted them mm-hmm. in the seventh eighth round in in the Scott Fishbowl, like. People were totally writing on that off. And these were two guys that had a proven track record, right? We knew Allen mm-hmm. Robinson was good. He put up 1,400 yards and 14 touchdowns in his second year. Like, for him not to continue, he would have been like a huge outlier. And we've seen that before. But, you know, people did it with Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen took off a few years. You know, people, people thought he was dust. And People and have been willing to give up on Keenan Allen every year for some reason. Like, it, it's just one yeah, of those players. Like, Landry, year. like Robinson... People don't want it to be true. Can I just put like my safety net over here where I think we broadly agree about quarterback, but it's I find arguing fun. But the thing that bothers me about you need a good quarterback arguments is, is it's usually used in reverse. It's like Aaron Rodgers' wide receiver is worth targeting before you look at the wide receiver, okay? But having said that, you recently... Um, well, when I asked you to come on this and graciously agreed, you sent me a chart about quarterbacks that develop 
multiple top 24 wide receivers. And I really like the fact that that happens every year. And I was vaguely unaware of it until you pointed it out. Like there's at least one team. I think the average is like, what, 1.5 teams that have um, uh, two top 24 wide receivers. But do you think there's a pattern in who? Four times? Oh, wow, that's a lot higher than I thought. Four times a year. And and it's happened. I've I've been tracking this since 2005. An average of Mm -hmm. four Team two, so two wide receivers in the top 24. That means that 12 NFL teams will not have a top 24 wide receiver, which is which makes a lot of sense. About. Yeah, and so and I, this has gotten out there. Um, somebody wrote an article about this, you know, coming off of the chart that I made, which I love, right? If someone wants to take my work and, and I <laughs> have at it, you know, because it's, it's all public knowledge, right? But I feel like if you're doing projections, and I don't do projections for the record, you know, in my drafts, I like, I do um, like a range of outcomes. So you want right. to put a high and a low because it, it depends on what my team looks like, right? I don't want to, I mean, I touch that guy because I've already done too much risk early on. So that's why I like the range of outcomes for players. You know, anyway, it makes a lot so of back sense, to the yeah. top. So back to the top 24, I feel like if you're doing projections and you want to be fully accurate, you need to have four wide receivers that they two of them all come from the same team because we we have we have like 14 years of this you know where it's happened like clockwork every year i mean last year there was only three but one of those just missed so it, obj was the wide receiver 25 and right. then landry was in the top 12 but it's it's kind of uncanny right and then you look at the these these quarterbacks and who are the ones that are most likely aaron Rodgers has done it the most peyton manning did it six times Kurt Warner did it a bunch, but Matt Ryan's done it four times, and, and he probably would have done it last year if Ridley hadn't got hurt. Because Ridley still finished. If you were say Matt Ryan. He finished in the top yeah. thirty. In fact, if you look in last year, there were several teams that had two top thirty wide receivers. Um, and Atlanta, Detroit. Yep, yep. And, Detroit was the other one with Marvin but, Jones. You've also got Jared Goff producing two though, right? For two years in a row. Two years in a row. Now, so is that Goff or is that the play caller? I I think it has something to do with the players at a certain point, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and so this goes into our argument, point. right? And so your point is that, like, good wide receivers are going to produce. I totally agree with that. My point is, is, like, Tyreek Hill was really good with, with uh, Alex Smith, but he was elite with Patrick Mahomes, you know? I so, like, that. to be top five level – you typically need a decent quarterback, you know, and I, that does, that's not a very good argument coming from Jameis Winston and Chris Godwin <laughs> last year. But, but Chris Godwin was kind of fluky last year. He wouldn't have been a top 10 wide receiver or he would have been barely top 10 most years because it was such a weird year for wide receiver scoring. But, you know, Matt Stafford, you know, he had Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate balling, you know, for several years in there. So, like, when Kitty Galladay emerged, we shouldn't have been surprised that, you know, Marvin Jones, who Marvin Jones is, is – it's another guy. He's really cheap in drafts, man. I am slamming Marvin Jones with my wide receiver three as much as I can. Um, and it's all because of this list where you, who are the quarterbacks most likely to support multiple? You know, Drew Brees is in there, of course. If you add in tight into this list, Drew Brees and Tom Brady would be, you know, probably eight, nine seasons with two top 24 wide receivers. So if you took, you know, Gronk and you put him into wide receiver scoring, he would have easily been top 24 wide receiver. So Brady and Breeze would have had two more than they did. There are only three times they have two top 24 wide receivers. 
but I, I, I use this list because I'm, when I'm looking for that, that next guy, it's like, okay, if this quarterback's mediocre, I don't think that the wide receiver two is really worth drafting because the quarterback's not going to be able to support one, let alone two, you know? So that's kind of where my process works with this. And then with Aaron Rodgers, I may be kicking the tires on Alan Lazard like, because of Aaron Rodgers' history. Is it, is it going to happen? I don't know. But it certainly has happened a lot. It has to adjust for the player, at least, a little bit for me. Like last year, Aaron Rodgers' wide receiver two, there were four of them apparently, according to ADP, and they're all getting drafted way too high. And I just took the one that wasn't just in case, because you're right, Aaron Rodgers, maybe there's some value. And I do think when you're talking about two top 24 wide receivers, you're much more likely to find them with a quarterback you can for sure say is good, however you define good, I guess. So Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees over Jared Goff. Um, And Jared Goff is the anomaly as a quarterback we don't think is good, but he's got a good play caller. I I can swing with all of that. My problem is you're not going to get necessarily the best wide receiver with the best quarterback. You can't rank wide receivers by quarterback, for example. Like um, I recently looked at points per game per quarterback rank in a single season, and there is definitely a trend for wide receivers with higher ranked quarterbacks to have higher points per game averages and higher finishes, which just makes sense since there's more points coming from the passing game. But... There was, there's almost, well, for a start, if you go from 2014 instead of 2009, the correlation drops off remarkably. Like the, 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 the explanation of the rank to the points per game drops from like 57, uh, from 63% to 57%. So like recently it's been less true. And also it's always been true. Like the best wide receiver, if we're not talking about the wide receiver two, but talking about the wide receiver one, if you want, well, I don't know who I forget who was wide receiver one last year. No, I don't. Michael Thomas. If you want Devonte Adams, if you play it a full season, that's not necessarily the guy with the best quarterback. Although I do appreciate, I just named the wide receivers with Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers as quarterbacks. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's just because your quarterback's better doesn't mean that wide receiver is going to outproduce a better wide receiver with a worse quarterback. On whole, even on average, the best wide receivers don't necessarily come from higher-ranked quarterbacks. They're in the top 10, I'll give you, but not necessarily yeah. in order, if you see what I'm I, saying. I'll agree with that, and, because we got guys like Steve Smith, who never really had a good quarterback. Right, right. Um, and he had an unbelievable career. But when you look at Alan my Robinson's list of, of awful, awful career. Yeah, yeah, but he's only hit top 24 twice. Uh, I'll, I'll remind you of that. Um, and, and there's right. some, you look at the list. I mean, Eli Manning's on there. Um, Jay Cutler's on this list. Derek Carr had two top 24 receivers back to back years. Now, he did have Cooper and Crabtree those two years. And those guys exactly. had a pretty good track record before they came with Derek Carr, or at least Cooper. You know, we know he's good. Um, but you go down this list, and there's just a lot of elite quarterbacks tied to this list. You know, Ben Roethlisberger and and Peyton Manning and um, Tony Romo, of course. And then there's the guys like Steve Smith and Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson really never had a good quarterback, you know, his whole career. Would he have been better with Peyton Manning? Probably. I don't know. Brandon Marshall had Jay Cutler for, like, most of his career. Some tertiary guys like Lance Moore. Would Lance Moore have been a top 24 wide receiver without Drew Brees? I highly doubt it. Yeah! Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. 
Jake on the table and Nate on the place, though. Beat enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.